this is so dumb. This is like amateur hour stuff. Like, what are we, what are we really doing here? Welcome to Grapples the Apple, the podcast that talks about everything. From professional wrestling to whether or not washing dishes is the worst household chore ever imaginable. Because let me tell you guys, it is the bane of my existence. As someone who lives by themselves, it is probably the worst thing about living by yourself is that you have no one to help you wash dishes. And washing dishes is the worst. I love cooking. I hate the cleaning. It is the absolute worst. And I dare anyone to argue that fact but anyway we're not here to talk about dishes and chores and what you could do around the house this is a pro wrestling podcast you're listening to us on soundcloud.com such grapples apples as grapples the number two apples if you don't like soundcloud you got apple Podcasts, you got google Podcasts, you got iHeartRadio. radio it doesn't matter where you're listening as long as you're listening as always i am your host Mr. Ill Will, the Thrill, the Poetarian, Shakespearean candidate, major English, whatever you need me to be, that's what I'll be, because baby, that's who I is. Now, typically, I have a co-host with me for the show, um, someone to bounce some ideas off of or whatnot, but unfortunately, I don't have a guest today, so it's just me. I'm riding solo. I'm riding solo. But it's all right, folks. I think we're going to be all right. We're going to make do tonight. We are here to talk about Extreme Rules 2021, live from Columbus, Ohio. <clears throat> We've got seven matches on the card, one of them being a pre-show match. Um, we have a bunch of titles on the line. I think everything except for two matches were title matches. So without any further ado, without any more delay, I guess I'm going to do it myself because I'm here on my own some. Let me ring that bell. All right, so we start off with the pre-show match of Liv Morgan versus Carmella. These two women have been having a feud uh, over the last, I want to say, at least a few months, where Liv Morgan has been trying to prove herself as someone who's a contender, someone who is legitimate in the women's division and over on SmackDown, while Carmella has been, you know, just down-talking her while also calling herself the most beautiful women, woman in the world or in WWE or some false nonsense like that. I don't know. Whatever. So we've had a bunch of matches between these two or featuring these two, um, sometimes with like Zelina Vega. Um, I think Tony Storm was involved in one match. But here we have them one-on-one finally. Seems like this is going to be the blow-off. And you would think that with the way the story is being built, Liv Morgan has to be the one to go over here. Um uh, because otherwise, what's the point, right? Like, Carmella's already a former Money in the Bank winner. She's already a former SmackDown Women's Champion. So for her to continue to go over on Liv Morgan doesn't really make much sense. So it, it would only make sense for Liv Morgan to go over here. So they have a match. Um, pretty much what you would expect from these two women. The I guess the only thing worth note is we get to... The part where I believe Liv's finish is the double knees or what, what used to be the code breaker, um, except it's off to the side. So she hits that on Camilla, but that does not get her the win. Um, and so when that happened, I'm like, oh, man, you know, that means 
Carmella's going to win, which any of my predictions doesn't, you know, doesn't benefit me. And also, because of the story, I thought that didn't make any sense. But anyway, so the match continues, and eventually uh, Liv Morgan does pick up the W over Carmella. And so that should wrap up this storyline as we move forward. Uh, we have the draft on Friday, so I'm going to guess that they're going to separate these two. Maybe send Liv over to Raw and keep Carmella on SmackDown or vice versa. I'm not sure, but I'm hoping that this means something bigger for, Car- for uh, not for Carmella, for Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan, who, you know, debuted on the main roster with the Riot Squad, and, you know, they were doing well initially, and then they kind of dropped them on the booking, and they split them up, and then they put her back with Ruby, and then Ruby got released, and so now Liv has been kind of trying to find her footing as a singles wrestler, and I think she's getting that. And so, I'm sorry, guys, I'm a little uh, congested today, I guess. But um, so I, I'm hoping that this is Liv finally getting the right push in the right direction, so we can start, you know, building her up as a legitimate contender of the women's division so we move on to the main show proper uh before the main show during the pre-show match we had a backstage segment where the new day was and i'm sorry they were interviewing aj styles and almost um and then they were talking about the new day the new day came into the building and then um Next thing you know, we had, I mean, I looked down for a second, and next thing I know, there's a brawl that broke out between the New Day, AJ Styles, almost, and Bobby Lashley. And so they said on the pre-show, this is going to start off the show. We're going to get a six-man tag between the New Day, Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, and almost. So we start the show off with this match. Um, I believe AJ, oh, no, I'm sorry. The New Day comes out first. And they get the big pop. You know, Big E's the new WWE champion. He's, you know, flanked on both sides by Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Then comes out AJ Styles and almost come out together. And Bobby Lashley comes out. So, I mean, this match was, was you know, nothing special, nothing crazy, nothing really anything happens in this match. Um AJ Styles does get ragdolled by Big E. And this is a bit of a problem for me. Not just because I'm a fan of AJ Styles, and I think he's arguably one of the, or I'm sorry, inarguably one of the best wrestlers in the world. But at some point, I'm looking at the I'm looking in the ring, and I notice you have three former WWE champions and one current WWE champion. Right? So other than Xavier Woods and Omos. Four out of the six men in this match have tasted WWE Championship gold. So these should be, theoretically, on equal level playing field. And they should all be top caliber performers. AJ was a champion for a year. Like an entire calendar year. And Lashley, before he lost to Big E, was dominant. Kofi, I never thought he belonged in that spot. But they built a story around Kofi. And then they, they sort of took care of him until, you know, the first episode of SmackDown on Fox when Brock Lesnar showed up and just murdered him. But with that said, again, they should be, you would think, we're talking four out of the six are big-name guys. They should be all 
competing at the same level. And so when Biggie comes in and AJ comes in and essentially Biggie just throws AJ Styles at Bobby Lashley, who's in the corner waiting for the, then, you know, sees AJ and reaches over for the tag. To me, that's like you're devaluing AJ and everyone that he beat, right? Because if Big E is just throwing AJ Styles around, and AJ Styles is a former WWE champion who had the title for over a year, how, like, what does that say about AJ Styles? Um, let me see. Championship defenses. Um, so that's my problem with that whole thing you know and then i mean look i'm not a fan of kofi right but if they're gonna make him the champion then you have to treat him like a champion right and that includes after the fact so the fact that kofi has been booked to be sort of like back to the mid card after all this after the kofi mania that's a little problem. That's a little problematic in my opinion, because then we end up with stuff like this. We're only seeing that the only two legit people in the ring are Biggie and Lashley. So Kofi was nothing. AJ was nothing. And by proxy, Shinsuke is nothing. Uh, I think Ambrose is nothing. Uh, John Cena. Who else did AJ Styles beat? as the WWE champion. Obviously, Jinder Mahal. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I, I don't remember who else exactly, but you get my point, right? Like, by by doing what they did, by having uh, Big E just manhandle AJ Styles willy-nilly, that really goes to show that, like, AJ's nothing and Kofi's nothing. But whatever. Um Big digression there. Um, as we get to the end of the match, everyone kind of starts doing their thing. Um, and we end with Big E hitting, I want to say Lashley, with a big ending. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't. I, did, I wasn't taking notes. But I'm pretty sure it was Big E hitting Lashley with a big ending to pick up the pinfall win for his team. So now we move on to the second to the third match on the card, which was the first title match of the night. From here on in, they're all title matches. So first we have the tag team match for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. We have defending champions, the Usos, taking on the challengers, the Street Profits. Now the story here is that I believe it was on SmackDown this past week, um, the Usos and Roman Reigns of the bloodline, they jump Montez Ford. They jumped them. They beat him up pretty good. Um, Angelo Dawkins was not at SmackDown on Friday because he was at a wedding or whatever. So before the match, I, be- I don't know if it was during the pre-show or if it was when we were still in like, like before, like during the first match or in between, whatever. Um, they had a backstage segment where they show the Street Profits coming into the building. And Montez Ford is, like, all serious face, and he's angry. He's all, like, he goes to Angelo Hawkins. He goes, listen, I'm paraphrasing here, but he goes, I'm here to take back these championships. 
and nothing else. If you're not here for that, let me know right now. And Angel Dominic's like, nope, I'm here. I got it. Let's do this thing. So they're all business tonight. It's no, you know, there's no partying. There's no solo cups. They, they came out to scrap. So, because they, they want the smoke. <laughs> so the Street Profits come out. Usos come out. And honestly, they have a fantastic match. Now, this goes to no surprise to me in terms of the Usos. Anyone who's ever seen an Usos match knows that the Usos can go. These are legitimate, straight-up, fantastic wrestlers. They're expert tag team wrestlers. Uh, They are arguably one of the best tag teams. I think inarguably one of the best tag teams in the world right now. And arguably one of the best tag teams in wrestling history. Just maybe top 20. Mm, Maybe. I don't know. But... So there's no surprise to me that the Usos would put on a good match. Now, the Street Profits, I'm, I'm not exactly a fan of. I'm not sold on them. I think they're okay. I think Montez Ford is a tremendously talented athlete. He is super athletic. That boy's got hops beyond hops. He can fly like like better than the rest of them. Um, Angelo Dawkins, to me, is kind of like meh. He doesn't really do much for me in terms of his in-ring ability uh, or his like, like I don't I I don't see anything in Dawkins. I think Montez Ford has more to offer. I think he has more charisma. I think he has more potential. I think if they ever decide to split them up, Montez Ford could totally take the current gimmick of the Street Profits, crank it up to a hundred, and go heel with it, and he would succeed. I think if you put him, like, in essentially kind of like what Becky's doing right now. So, like, if you put him, like, in a big fur coat and big sunglasses, like, and let him walk around like he's the the top of the pops. You know what I mean? If he walks around like his ish don't stink, I think that could be a good heel move for him if they decide to go in that direction ever in the future. Um, Right now, they're very over as baby faces. Um, They sell merch. Fans love them. Bianca's also a face, so like they're, and, and I do like that they're not together, but they're together, but they're not together. So, yeah. But so, long story short, I'm never typically impressed with what the Street Profits can do, but this was a good match. This match was very well done, very well paced. Um, they did a good job, and this is always my favorite thing. In any wrestling match. If you can make me believe that either of the of the combatants could possibly win the match at any time, then I think you're booking the match correctly. I think far too often professional wrestling, um, it seems pretty clear who's going to win. Either because of the booking before the match or the booking in the match. I think oftentimes we go into these matches kind of having an idea who's probably going to win. And if not, usually during the match, there is a um, a certain pattern that you start to pick up. You start to see where the match is going. There's a momentum. There's a, you know, you can kind of see, okay, this person's probably going to win. Uh, and I think especially, especially in modern WWE, 
you can kind of tell when they're heading towards the finish. I think we've said that a bunch of times here on the show when reviewing any match. We often talk about how, you know, you can see, oh, it looks like we're going towards the finish. You can kind of pick up on that sometimes. Um, and my favorite matches are always the matches where it seems like they're going to a finish in one direction, and then either it's not, or it ends up being a finish in the opposite direction. Now, the first time I picked up on stuff like that, and I've said this before, and that's a reiterate, but when I saw um, Okada versus um, ZSJ, Zack Sabre Jr., I walked into that match going, oh, I mean, Okada's going to win. It's duh. It's an obvious one, right? But then because of the way they built the match during the match, I felt myself going, oh, my God, is, is ZSJ actually going to win this match? Is he actually going to win this? And there was, a couple, there was a few times where I thought, oh, my God, he might actually win this match. And when, obviously, he didn't, and Okada won, which made sense booking-wise, it was like, oh, wow, okay. That's that, that's like, you know, there's a feeling of, of, um, of uncertainty, like that up-and-down feeling where you're unsure what's going to happen. And I think that, like, the suspense of it. I think that's when wrestling is at its best, when there's a level of suspense and unknown as the match is progressing. And so this match did this well. There were a few times towards the finish where I thought, okay, we're going towards the finish and the new and the Usos are going to win. And then something would happen and I'd go, oh, wait a minute. Are the Shoe Profits about to win this? And I go, oh, no, the, the, the Usos are going to win this. Oh no, the, So I think twice or three times I went back and forth going, oh, so they're going to win? Oh, no, they're going to win. Oh, they're going to win? Until finally when it was – once they threw out – they got to the, the last spot of the match when they threw out Angelo Dawkins and they isolated Montez Ford. And they hit him with, like, super kicks from two different directions – and then once that happened, I saw him in the middle of the ring by himself. I was like, oh, okay, this is the finish of the match. And so the Usos go up to the top turnbuckles on opposite ends of the ring, and they hit him with the double Uso splash, and they go over that way. So very good match. And I think what's great about this match is they really do a good job of putting over Montez Ford's toughness. He come, like I said, he got beat up on Friday, and they played up to it. So they mentioned it a bunch of times in the lead-up to the match, and during the match, he comes in, and he's got the the uh, the tape on his ribs. he got the rib tape going on, the old GDP style tape all around his ribs and his stomach and whatnot. And so, like, they're playing up this injury that he's beat up, he's beat up, he's beat up. And to their credit, um, the Usos – they would hit him with super kicks, but not to the face, to the stomach, to the abdomen, to the ribs, to the same injured area. And that's that storytelling. Um, so that was very well done there. And there was at least, I think, once or twice where they hit him with like a single Uso splash and he kicked out. Or they hit him with something and he would kick out. So they really they really wanted to and they really did book the story and tell the story of Montez Ford being really tough and it taking the Usos everything 
to take to, to hold him down and put him down. So very good match in my opinion. Probably the best Street Profits match that I can think of. And so kudos to them. Usos retain and we move forward. So the next match on the card, as we're moving along here, is Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship. Charlotte Bliss coming in as the defending champion and Alexa Bliss as the challenger. The story lead up to this match is Alexa Bliss is still doing the, you know, the pseudo fiend gimmick. And she has her doll Lily. So she makes a doll for Charlotte. Charlotte's like, you know, what happened to you? I remember when you used to like actually compete and now you're, you're, you're broken. You're clearly broken. Everyone sees that you're broken. Um, that's why you're hiding behind this doll. And so Alexa Bliss makes a doll for Charlotte, calls it Charlie. Charlotte doesn't want it. She throws it out. Alexa Bliss brings it back in another segment on another day. And Charlotte rips it up. Wasn't going to do with it after a beat up with Alexa Bliss. So we go into this match. And I mean, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think anything of this match. It didn't really do anything for me. It seemed very by the numbers. Um, I don't really know that I have much else to say. They they really tried to Charlotte tried to I think go after Lily at some point. Unless Bliss didn't let her because of course Lily's sitting on one of the turn uh, the turnbuckles I don't know, on the post. I don't know. Um, long story short, don't want to spend too much time on this match. But uh, Alexa Bliss hits Charlotte with the DDT, but she's by the rope, so she puts her foot on the rope. That breaks up the three count. And then at some point, so shortly thereafter, Charlotte hits her with a natural selection to pick up the victory. After Charlotte wins, she beats up Alexa Bliss some more, and she gets Lily, tears the head off of Lily, and then rips it up and stomps it out. Alexa Bliss jumps on top of her back, but Charlotte fends her off, and Charlotte leaves. Alexa Bliss is left in the ring, screaming, crying. Um, before this, so this, this is kind of comical. So before we got to this, after the initial beatdown, after the match is already taking place, <clears throat> excuse me, after the match is taking place, Charlotte, you know, beats up Alexa Bliss, and she throws her, like, over the announce table. And so obviously, just you know, Alexa Bliss disappears. That's when Charlotte goes back in the ring. She destroys Lily, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Alexa Bliss jumped on her, so on and so forth. I already described this part. Now, after Charlotte's gone and Alexa Bliss is, you know, upset and screaming and yada, yada, it seems that they gave her some sort of, like, pill to make it look like she's filming from the mouth. But I don't think it worked properly. I don't know if it was something that had to be activated and it, or, or it was just faulty. But you can see Alexa Bliss screaming. And you can see the giant white tablet on her tongue. And then at some point, like, a little dribble of foam comes down her mouth. And it's just, it's so comical. Like, I'm watching this and I'm just like, this is so dumb. This is like amateur hour stuff. Like, what are we, what are we really doing here? But apparently, Alexa Bliss is a face, which is confusing to me because if she's supposed to be like this 
like spooky, demented horror character. I'm not sure how she's supposed to be a face. And last I remember, she was a heel. But I guess, I don't know, I guess I'm wrong. Well, I whatever. Maybe it's because they were in Columbus, Ohio, and she's from Ohio, and so maybe that's why she got such a pop. But they were cheering for her. And then after Alexa Bliss picks up the remnants of Lily, the fans start chanting, thank you, Lily. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, is, is this what we're doing? We're chanting, thank you, Lily? I... I don't understand. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I truly do not get it. I am befuddled. But it's becoming clearer and clearer that this this is not catered to me. So we move on. Let's move on to the next title match. Is for the United States Championship. We have the challengers of Jeff Hardy and Shamus taking on Damian Priest, who is the defending champion and of course a triple threat match so um the story going into this is you know jeff hardy and sheamus already have this backstory this um this rivalry that was from a few months ago when jeff hardy supposedly ran over sheamus but he didn't know he ran over elias i don't remember what it was but sheamus was you know taking shots at Jeff Hardy for his sobriety or lack of sobriety. So they had that bar match, which was dumb. Uh, so they already have built-in history. And James is still wearing that mask, and he, quote-unquote, rebroke his nose. Um, and so we have this thing going on. It's Damian Priest, Jeff Hardy, and Sheamus. And this match is, I mean, if you've ever seen a Jeff Hardy match, you've seen a Jeff Hardy match. If you've ever seen a Sheamus match, you've seen a Sheamus match. The only difference about Sheamus in this match, which I thought was interesting, was he was doing a lot more trash talk than I'm accustomed to him doing. He was talking a lot more smack, particularly to the crowd. Um, I don't remember specifically what he was saying, but he kept like taunting the crowd, and that was different to me. I don't remember Sheamus doing stuff like that. Um, at one point, like he took his mask off and he's like, yeah, yeah, look at my mask, blah, blah, blah. Um, another point, Jeff Hardy's out of the ring. Damian Priest is in the ring and he's prone. And so Sheamus is at the top and he starts like mocking Jeff Hardy and doing like the, the hand gyrations and all that stuff. Uh, like, oh, he's mocking Jeff Hardy. And then he does like a, a rolling knee from the top rope to Damian Priest, um, so he's he yeah. So Sheamus is is a lot chattier than I'm accustomed to seeing him, and this match but I thought it was great. It's fun. It's nice to see uh, some personality out of Sheamus during a match. At some point, he's yelling to the fans that he still got it. It's like yeah, I still got it. I still got it. Yeah, I still got it. I was like oh, okay, this is cool. I like Sheamus. I like Sheamus having a personality. That's kind of always been my issue with Sheamus, is. To me, other than when he was in the bar, he never was doing any character work. Like, his in-ring work is okay enough, but it's not enough to lack personality. And so, like, the the, the knock on AJ Styles for throughout his career has always been, he's a fantastic in-ring worker, but his personality, his, his, his character work, his mic work is subpar. And... 
that is like that can only get you so far. You have to be a certain level of talented to get away with that, right? So like AJ Styles in the ring is one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And so when that's the case, you can kind of get away with not being the best character worker. Sheamus doesn't have that. Sheamus is a good wrestler, but he's not like, he's never going to be the best in the world in anyone's opinion. And so you have to be able to display some sort of character or personality or something when that's where you are as a wrestler. And so when he was with Cesaro in the bar, their matches were like excellent. They were part of the, I remember their, the tag teams at that time was phenomenal and no pun intended to AJ Styles. Um, and the bar was a huge part of that. Cesaro and Sheamus really were a very good tag team. They had a good story coming in to, to like blend, to, like, to lead into the tag team where they had the best of seven match uh, matches. And then they, be, you know, their rivalry turned into a partnership and a mutual respect. And so their personality of the bar was, you know, we don't set the bar, we are the bar. And so while it wasn't much, they still had this air of confidence of like, we are the best. And that was kind of enough when in association with how good their matches were, right? Without that, I've always felt like Sheamus just didn't have anything going on for him. So seeing Sheamus put out some sort of personality, some sort of character, I think is a welcome change. And I think it's something that Sheamus needs to do. I'm not sure what direction specifically we want to go, but you got to do something. Because this is the most entertainment I've gotten out of Sheamus since he was in the bar. Um, Jeff Hardy is Jeff Hardy. You're not going to get anything different from Jeff. Um, And Damian Priest continues to just be a solid worker. So... I'm trying to remember the finish of this match. I'm sorry. I know uh, Damian Priest was pinning Sheamus, and then Jeff hit them with a swanton. And then I believe Sheamus hit Jeff Hardy with a bro kick. And then Damian Priest beat Sheamus with something. I don't remember how the finish was. I don't think he hit him with with his finish. But Damian Priest ended up getting the pin, and he retains... To be to you know retains his W his uh, United States Championship. Excuse me. So that leads into our penultimate match, our semi-main, our co-main, whatever you want to call it. Second match before the last match, we had the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship on the line. We had defending champion Becky Lynch taking on Bianca Belair. Now, the story going into this leads comes all the way back to WrestleMania. Bianca beat Sasha Banks at WrestleMania to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. She holds the title all the way through to SummerSlam. At SummerSlam, it was supposed to be the Bianca versus Sasha rematch. Sasha's pulled off the card. So, initially, it's announced that Carmella's going to be her opponent. But before that match can start, Becky Lynch comes in, wipes out Carmella, um, Request to be the challenger. Bianca agrees. Bring the bell. Shake hands. Forearm to the face. Manhandle slam. One, two, three. <clears throat> Becky Lynch becomes the new SmackDown Women's Champion after only 26 seconds. So 
that's where this particular story starts to really pick up steam. That's where this specific feud starts off right there on SummerSlam. So after the after SummerSlam leading into this match, we have a lot of promos going back and forth where Becky is is turning full blown heel. And not heel in the way that she did at SummerSlam, uh, I want to say 2018, when the man was born, when she turned quote unquote heel on Charlotte, but the fans were really happy about it, and so they ended up going tweener. No, this is more arrogant, cocky, um, D bag Becky, where like she's wearing obnoxious clothing and fur coats and like. She's like, I am gonna apologize for nothing, uh, like just talking smack. Like it just, it wasn't even like cool talking smack. Like the man, this was just like typical heel nonsense. So Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch have this match, and it's a, it's a fine enough match as it's going. Um, Every time Bianca gets gets the best of Becky, Becky kind of like peters out. At some point, she rolls out of the ring, and Michael Cole says something along the lines of like, "Becky is is uh, trying to regain her composure. She wasn't expecting this, and she yells at Michael Cole. She's like, I have a plan. Don't tell me what I'm doing or what I'm thinking. Shut up, Michael Cole. Blah blah,' blah which is always fun. Uh, Becky Lynch, by the way, decked out in brand new white gear. Seeing her in white gear is very weird. Very strange. I don't know. I'm not. I don't know how I feel about it. She's never had great gear, right? Like, I've never looked at Becky's gear and been like, "Yeah, that works." It's always kind of been a little iffy, but whatever. So, um, as the match is progressing, Becky's trying to hit her. She's trying to get the the um, the disarm her a bunch of times, but she can't get it. Um, Bianca finally gets her up for the. Kiss of Death, K.O.D., right? I think that's the name of her finish. And at this point, just like I haven't been keeping, I haven't been updating on the show, but at this point, I've been killing the game, right? Like, I've been perfect in my predictions up until this point, and I had picked Becky Lynch to win. And so Bianca has Becky up for the K.O.D., and then who comes to break up the match? Sasha bleeping banks. Sasha runs in, hits Bianca first. So the ref calls for the bell, and the match is apparently it's called disqualification on Becky because Bianca gets hit first. Now, the ref, as soon as Sasha hits Bianca, the ref calls for the bell, but then like rolls out. And no point, unless I missed it. At no point did I hear the ring announcer say the winner by disqualification is Bianca Belair, but the commentators, the announced team, said it a bunch of times. They kept saying, oh, because of disqualification, Becky's still the champion. Oh, this disqualification ruined this match, so on and so forth. So they, they called it a disqualification uh, without any clarity as to who was disqualified, but if you go on Wikipedia, I know they're not the most reliable source, but if you go on Wikipedia, it does say Bianca Belair defeated Becky Lynch by disqualification, which makes sense, because typically speaking, the first person to get hit is the winner, because the assumption is that the person is attacking on behalf of the other person. So, they call for the bell, Bianca Belair wins by disqualification, Sasha Banks beats up on Bianca. 
then it's just Sasha and Becky in the ring, and they stare each other down, and then Sasha attacks Becky also. So Sasha's not here to play games with anybody. She's here to mess people up. She jumps Bianca. She jumps Becky, and and that's that. So Becky is still the champion, and Bianca gets the win, but now Sasha Banks is involved. So I'm guessing at Survivor Series. So now here's the thing, right? Where do they go with Survivor Series? If they're doing the brand supremacy thing again, then that means we're going to get Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair at Survivor Series. Which is fine, but then what's the point of bringing back Sasha now? Because after Extreme Rules, you have the Crown Jewel, or whatever that's called. Um, That's in October. And then Survivor Series is in November. So unless you plan to do a triple threat with Sasha, Becky, and Bianca at Crown Jewel, which I do not advise. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with this match. Because clearly that's the next match, right? It's going to be a triple threat between these three women for the title. My problem with them doing it at Crown Jewel is the women lag a certain amount of freedom as to what they can do. So then they either, they have to decide. They have to decide what Survivor Series is going to look like for them. Is it going to be brand supremacy? In which case you push the triple threat match to what's after Survivor Series? Survivor Series is in November, November, December. What's in December? I have no idea. Um, So either you push that past that, which I don't know if that's what you want to do, but... um, or if you don't do the brand supremacy, well, then they have to have the match at Survivor Series. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see how they play this. Sasha did say as she was walking out, I'll see you both on Friday. So I guess we're going to see what happens on Friday at SmackDown. Now, again, note, big note, is the draft is on Smack is on Friday night on SmackDown on October 1st. So theoretically... You can have Bianca get drafted to Raw and Becky. Becky's already a SmackDown Women's Champion, so she can't go anywhere. But if you send Bianca to Raw, then she's done with this. And she moves on to Charlotte, which I don't think is a bad idea. I think that might be where they're going next. The only problem I have with that is right now they're in the middle of a Charlotte wins lull kind of booking pattern. So if Bianca's going to go over to Raw just to lose to Charlotte, and I'm not about it. I'm not about it at all. So I'm curious as to what they're going to do. Now, they could send Sasha to Raw and continue Bianca versus Becky, and they could be like, listen, we were having our match, but it was interrupted again, this time by Sasha. Let's try this again. And then, of course, Becky will run away from it because she's a heel. She'll be like, no, you had your chance. It's not my problem that someone interfered, yada, yada, yada. So... It's, it's interesting. Or they can send Becky and Sasha both over to Raw. And then they can have they can take their feud over to Raw. And then Becky has to find a new challenger, which at this point, I don't know who it would be, to be honest. 
Um, obviously, they're going to do a, a, a draft, so who knows who's going to land where. I guess, theoretically, you can just have someone drafted over to SmackDown, like Asuka or Naya ugh, or um, Shayna. I don't know. Whatever. But it's interesting to see where this particular feud lands post-draft. Because I feel like every year there's always one feud that's going to be particularly affected by the draft, and this is the one. I feel like all the other feuds on this card or feuds that are going on in WWE right now, whatever happens in the draft is not going to affect it too much. Um, Big E and Lashley both cut promos in the middle of the show. Lashley was the first one to cut his promo where basically he was telling Big E, hey, you beat me when my, my knee was messed up and then you're hiding behind the New Day. So like, no hiding behind a cash-in, no hiding behind the New Day, one-on-one, I want my title back. And then Biggie followed up with a promo responding, saying, I'm not hiding behind Kof, I'm not hiding behind Woods, I'm not hiding behind anybody, I'll see you Monday, tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. So that match has been set. So it's Lashley versus uh, Big E for the WWE Championship, and it's going to open the show. Uh, smart move by WWE, by the way, because now... You can kind of guarantee that your the the top of your ratings is going to be at the eight o'clock hour. Um, the problem with that is their struggle is always the ten to eleven o'clock hour. So I don't know how they're going to get people to stick around for that. But anyway, so that feud is going to wrap up tomorrow on Raw. So with that, if Lashley, let's say Biggie retains and Lashley gets drafted to SmackDown. It doesn't matter because that feud's over, right? The Usos beat the Street Profits clean. That feud is over. Charlotte and Bliss, like, if Bliss goes over to to SmackDown, whatever. Charlotte is, oh, I dispatched of her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, none of these other feuds are really affected by the draft other than Becky, Bianca, and Sasha. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Now, that moves us into the main event of the night. The Extreme Rules match for the Universal Championship between defending champion Roman Reigns and the Demon Finn Balor as the challenger. Obviously, as an Extreme Rules match. There's no DQ. Um, you can only win by pinfall or submission. Um, this match is pretty good. So Roman comes out first, which I'm not a fan of. I, we on the show have always said a million times the champion comes out last. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. The problem is that you had Finn Balor doing the demon thing, and so they usually have him come out last because it's more theatrical and it involves smoke and all this other stuff. <sighs> Excuse me. This ended up being such a goof troop of a match. All right, so... Roman comes out, it's all fine and dandy, whatever. Finn comes out, and he's wearing this, like, needle mohawk headdress thing, which is so bizarre, and you can tell that, like, he's limited in his motion, because he's not really doing his, like, his posing thing, where he, like, hits his thighs and then, like, you know, raises his arms. He's not really doing that to the full effect. And you could tell it's because of the headdress. Like, he prob- it would probably fall off his head if he did it. So he kind of, like, abbreviated did it. And just from that alone, like, I'm sorry, but if you're wearing some sort of 
ring attire, accessories, some sort of accoutrement, like, it cannot affect what you do. Whether it's in the ring or as your entrance, if it's getting in the way of what you want to do, then you shouldn't be doing it, right? So, like, the headdress thing should have been scrapped, but whatever. So he comes out, and he's got this thing on his head. Uh, He takes it off, and he's in full demon regalia. And they start off with, like, the uh, uh, a collar and elbow, which is just so... <sighs> if if, you're, if the demon is an actual manifestation of a demon, then the collar and elbow makes sense, but then Finn has to win that collar and elbow. If Roman is just going to shove him away... Then, then don't talk to me about the demon. The demon is nothing more than just makeup. <laughs> so, you have to decide, WWE, is it just makeup that he wears to get him going? Or is it an actual manifestation of some sort of supernatural demon? And I say this specifically because of something that happens later in the match, which we'll get to. <laughs> so the match progressing perfectly fine um you know they're going back and forth they're both getting in some offense they involve some weaponry roman gets a sycamore cane or i'm sorry a bamboo uh, a, a kendo stick it's a wwe's kendo stick <clears throat> so he gets a kendo stick and finn balor or the demon as they continue to refer to him throughout the entire match uh whips out a contraption that's essentially four kendo sticks wrapped up together as like one giant kendo stick like they even made like a handle so basically there's a handle and then a little tiny platform and then the four kendo sticks bundled together on top of that platform tied to this handle so it's like this giant kendo stick essentially but (coughs) you can tell that's like (coughs) it's limited in what you can do with it because he's holding on to like two different parts of the... Like, he's not holding it by the handle and swinging away. Like, he's trying to stabilize it by holding it, like, towards the, the middle of the, the candlestick itself. But he only swings a few times before it starts to fall apart. So, I'm like, whatever. Um, they take out a couple tables, but they don't use them right away. Um, and then they end up battling in the crowd. Now, what's interesting to me about this is... So, Finn gets thrown into the into the crowd... And Roman goes to follow, and he reaches his hand out to um, Paul Heyman, like waver Paul Heyman to hand him something. And the announce table says it. They're like, "Oh, he's he's asking for something from his his advisor." And what it was is Paul Heyman handed him a face mask to put on when he goes into a fight to the crowd, which he does. And the announcers no longer mention it. They don't say a single thing about like, "Oh, he's handing him something." And then they just go on to picking up the action. Like, they don't mention what it is. Um, so Roman's wearing the face mask. They're battling out in, you know, in the crowd area. Um, and then eventually they find their way back to the ringside. Roman takes his mask off. They get back into the ring. They battle by the steps. Um, then I'm trying to remember when the interference was. Okay, so... Um, we get to a point where 
Finn hits Roman with the coup de gras, hits him with the shotgun drop kick and the coup de gras, and he pins him, and then the Usos pull him out. And then um, they start to beat him up, and at some point, so I'm, I have to apologize. I, I was doing other things, so I kind of stepped away and came back. But everyone's down, and then all of a sudden you hear like the the heartbeat thump of Finn Balor's entrance music before the entrance music hits, like the the doom, doom, with like the guitar kind of thing. The anyway, so the light beats with the heartbeat, and with every heartbeat. Finn Balor, who's laying prone, face down, ringside on the apron, not on the apron, on the mat, he starts to, like, pulse with the the pulse, with the heartbeat. So, like, he, like, gyrates a little bit. And at first, he's matching it beat for beat, and the light is matching it. I'm like, what is this? And then he, like, rises up from like laying face down on his stomach he like rises up the light hits permanently red and then his music hits and so now he starts to beat up on the usos and he starts to beat up on roman he he grabs a a a chair and he just starts like wailing on roman and like his music is playing and the lights are red and it is the most i i can't describe it other than like Goofy. I, I I can't think of any other word than it was just goofy in my opinion. It is just he's this is the demon and then now say, well, oh it's the demon. The demon has been re rebirthed or, or the demon has risen, something like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, what what is this? What is this silly ass hat? I don't understand. <laughs> so then he goes up to the top turnbuckle. And it's at the point of it of like his entrance music where he normally does a thing, right? So like the crowd does it with him, and for some reason, Finn Balor's taking a really long time to stand upright on the turnbuckle. And not like I've never seen him have that issue, right? So he's like he's trying to get his footing. It's like wobbly. He's shaky. He can't. He tries to get up. As soon as he stands upright, the turnbuckle breaks, quote unquote. So, like, the top rope collapses, the top turnbuckle collapses, the lights go back on normal immediate. No more red. Music stops. Lights are back to normal. He's clutching his knee on the ground after falling from the top turnbuckle that has now collapsed. They're like, some sort of malfunction. Did the rope just break? The turnbuckle just break? And then, basically, Roman Reigns gets up, hits him with a spear, one, two, three, ball game, we're out of here. And it was just like, what? 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 What was the point? What was the point of this weirdo, spooky do, red lighting, pulsing on the ground? Like, and then because the turnbuckle collapses, like the, the power is now gone? Like, I, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. So you're telling me that uh, the demon. Right, because and so now back to what I was saying before. The implication from this is that there's an actual demon that has some sort of 
relationship to Finn Balor. So the demon wakes up. The demon is arisen. The demon, the demon is rebirthed. He goes on a rampage, which is fine, theoretically. I always thought that if he's going to be the demon Finn Balor, he should be more aggressive in his ring style. But, so because the ring pose collapses, the demon disappears or vacates his body? Or, like, I, like I'm not, I don't understand. What, how, what are the rules to this demon? Mino comprendo. So, I don't know. I just thought it was really silly. doesn't make any sense. And they're like, Roman Roman really can tell that, that he was helped by something else today. Like, what? Are you implying that, like, God was watching out for Roman Reigns in this match? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I was, like, Shades and I were, were kind of messaging each other throughout the show. And he said an idea of, like, Brock interfering in the match. That makes more sense. They're already booked for Crown Jewel, right? So we already know it's going to happen. And you have the idea of of um, Paul Heyman being up for grabs, sort of. So, like, you don't need a title for that match, right? Theoretically, you could have had Brock come out, interfere on Finn's behalf, cost Roman the title, right? And then you can tell that story going into Crown Jewel. Now you have a reason for these two to have a feud because now Roman's angry with Brock because now Brock cost him the title. And now there's an even more of a reason for Paul Heyman to be caught in the middle because now Roman can be like, yo, why did your boy do that? Talk to your boy. And, you know, then like now Paul Heyman's caught in between, right? And so now you can sell this match without the title at Crown Jewel, then you give the title to Finn and let him figure out, is he the champion? Did he become the champion by winning the championship? Or is he only the champion because of the demon? And then you can start this this story where Finn Balor is trying, like a Bruce Banner type thing, a Hulk and Bruce Banner type thing, where he's trying to reconcile with the demon inside. And when the demon comes out and how far to go and how far is he willing to go to be the champion. And you can tell that story. And I think it would be a compelling story to tell. And so this way you have Roman doing something big with Brock that doesn't need a title. And then you have Finn doing something interesting with the title that legitimizes Finn. And that can create, that can keep this, the title in a big story. But I, I, they didn't go that way. Instead, they had this thing. They had the turnbuckle break, and then Roman wins. And that's that. And that, that's how the show ends. It was very bizarre, in my opinion. But well, I don't know. So at this point, we give our match of the night. And for me... Much to my surprise, the match of the night is going to go to the Usos versus the Street Profits for the Tag Team Championships. Again, I thought this was a very well done match, very well booked. The storytelling was good coming in and throughout. Um, I thought this was the best match of the night, easily. Um, Roman and and Finn was goofy. Bianca and Becky was fine until Sasha ruined it for me. Because now, I, I we ended in a three-way tie for the Fall Harvest. So, no one wins. Boo. 
But um, Priest versus Hardy and Sheamus is fine. You know, so on and so forth. Like, it, the only match that really, really stuck out to me was the Usos versus Street Profits. Now, as for our ratings, well, some people give a number grade or a letter grade. Some people do stars. Well, here at Grapples of Apples, we do topes. You get zero topes for an abomination of professional wrestling, and you get five topes if you're what professional wrestling is all about. So, normally we'll start with a 2.5. We're giving every show the benefit of the doubt of being at least average. And then, based on the matches, we'll go up or down on the scale, and we'll see where we land. So, normally we don't include the pre-show match, but I'm going to today because I'm doing this by myself. So, why not, right? So, start with Liv Morgan versus Carmella. The match was fine enough as it is. The right person won. No harm, no foul, no win, no loss. 2.5, we stay. New Day versus Lashley was also fine. Again, my only issue is the way they're treating AJ Styles and, by extension, Kofi Kingston. Um, so, if anything, I might drop this down to, like, a 2.25. Nothing crazy, you know, nothing drastic. But, yeah, I guess, yeah, you know what, fine. I'll say 2.25. And then the Usos and Street Profits is going to bring it back up to a 3.25. Going to give it a whole point. Uh, Charlotte versus Bliss is fine, so we're still at 3.25. The triple threat match for the U.S. title is still 3.25. The Women's Championship match, still the same. And then Roman and Finn, I'm going to say this brings it back down to a 3. Now, I saw on social media real quick before I started recording that there are people like, oh, this is the most fun and different way to end the, the match. I enjoyed it, yada, yada, yada. And sure, it's different. It's it's definitely different. But is it good? Because different doesn't always mean good. And I, I thought it was silly and doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't know what their obsession is with red lighting and red cages and red everything. I, I don't know. So for me, I'm going to have to drop this down a quarter of a point. So the show as a whole, Extreme Rules 2021, for me, lands at a solid three right there. right Just slightly above average. But that's just my opinion. What's your opinion? Let us know. As always, you've been listening to us on SoundCloud.com slash Grapples to Apples. That's Grapples the number two apples. If you don't like SoundCloud, you got Google Podcasts, you have Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. It doesn't matter where you're listening, as long as you're listening. Don't forget to check out our social media pages. That's Facebook.com, Twitter.com, Instagram.com slash Grapples to Apples. Again, that's Grapples the number two apples. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Do whatever you got to do to put us as many eyes on YouTube as really possible. Because we appreciate it. As always, I've been one of I've been your host, your one host today. Mr. Ill Will, the Thrill, the Pulpitarian, Shakespeare, and Candidate, Major English, Mr. Certified, the Godfather, whatever you need to be, that's what I'll be, because baby, that's who I is. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to check out our episodes from last week, this week, next week, and every other week. It's an apple a day. God bless you. Peace.